Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch The Going Live Show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um the public defender that was her uh main gimmick on the uh show that was the main character she played and she did that quite a few times and if you saw the um hood exorcist sketch uh she played the mother in the sketch like i played the uh the priest that was trying to you know get the demon out of her son in the sketch uh she played the mom and i played the priest going the power of christ compels you like that was me well sadly this Past Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase. It. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which was another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows non-stop, but I can't let this situation situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, The Booch is riding solo. Yes, I am all by myself unexpectedly and the reason is an unexpected situation is because earlier today i'd say around let me take a look here i would say at 
1.29 p.m. Now, of course, that's 1.29 p.m. Wednesday. I was told by Gator that he would be here tonight for AEW. That he would be joining me for the recap of All Elite Wrestling. I gave him a thumbs up. He gave me a thumbs up. We locked it in. It was a done deal. Next thing I know, I'm getting messages regarding a stage five level clinger. Apparently, he's dealing with a ring rat who just won't leave him the fuck alone. I'm sure we'll hear more about that the next time Gator appears. Appears on an AEW recap, I'm sure I'm going to have him adr- address it because I was actually going to have him address it at the beginning of this recap. Then, hours go by, I'm home, I'm watching the main event, and all of a sudden, I get, just handle it, I gotta handle some personal shit. So 11 minutes before the show goes off the air, Gator blows me off completely. Gonna be honest with you guys, trying to be patient, trying to be understanding, trying to be a team player, but this shit is pissing me off. So now, basically, I gotta do this recap all by my don't want to be but I have to be and I have no idea how long this recap's gonna go and quite frankly I don't care so we're gonna get through this I'm gonna do the best I can by myself because I know I can do this by myself but you probably won't be here for a very long time I'm gonna try to edit this because I don't want to show up to work tomorrow dead dog fucking tired especially since I gotta do a bunch of bullshit recordings with Derek Shapiro so let's just jump into this shall we here we are we're in Milwaukee Wisconsin the UW Milwaukee Penn Arena, and we kick things off with our first official match of the evening. We've got Darby Allen one-on-one against Swerve Strickland, and this match is exactly what you thought it would be. Darby doing a bunch of random ass spots. Now, I will give credit where credit is due. Some of the spots that Darby Allen did were timed and meaningful. Some of them. The rest of them were reckless and unnecessary, which pretty much sums up everything Darby Allen does. Now, of course, they have Sammy Guevara watching from the back because, again, they're trying to put emphasis on the fact that these are four pillars of AEW and the fact that we could very well see the four pillars of AEW face off in a match at double or nothing. I'm assuming that's what they're building to because if they're not, they're out of their fucking minds. Swerve, of course, being the great heel that he is, doing very well in this match. Swerve is an incredible competitor. Um, And, of course, these guys go back and forth for quite a while. Very good, hard-fought match. Eventually, the rest of um, Swerve's faction tries to get involved, but Darby is able to outsmart them. In the end, the embassy is ejected by the referee. Swerve looks for a steel chair shot to Darby, but gets caught with the Last Supper. One, two, three. The winner of the match, Darby Allen. So this was a decent opener to the show. And obviously the, the crowd was into it because they're high on Darby Allen. I'll never understand why. And of course, after all this is over, next thing we know, MJF makes his way to the ring. Um, He interrupts the crowd to give Darby credit where it's due. They show their appreciation. And MJF says, it was especially inspiring since Darby's daddy Sting wasn't out at ringside. MJF talks about the match they had at Full Gear 2021 and that Darby is one of the best he's ever faced. But he has two words that will prove that he is MJF and only to cut himself off to insult the crowd for doing his catchphrase. And his two words are headlock 
takeover. MJF continues to run Darby down, saying he's not on the level of the devil. Darby has a microphone of his own, asking if MJF is happy. He reflects upon MJF's past statement of, when I make it to national television, all my problems will go away. He goes into his own issues when he started in AEW, including the therapy he checked himself into. He learned to stop worrying about himself and to help others, including his parents. He bought them a house, and he helped his dad retire. He tells MJF this is just a 15-minute ride, but he refuses to get off the ride. He's not like MJF. He's not going to lower his morals to be somebody in this world. So if MJF has something to say, keep talking. MJF calls Darby an arrogant little boy, asking if he thinks he's special before saying he is sick and tired of Darby and Jack and Sammy caring about MJF's morals, stating that morals kill careers. MJF thinks Darby is a gutless coward because he doesn't have what it takes to make the sacrifices necessary necessary to get ahead but MJF doesn't care about any of that because he is at the top MJF is willing to do whatever it takes to stay ahead and leave a legacy as being the greatest of all time Darby can keep his morals because Darby's legacy will be that he is Sting's bitch a statement that brings out the icon himself Sting makes his way down to the ring, getting the crowd pumped up before staring down the champ. Sting doesn't get the daddy daycare comments from before, seeing himself as more of a cheerleader as he pulls out pom-poms and smacks the champ with them. Sting says, I got a fever, and the only cure is more pom-poms. I gotta have more pom-poms, baby. After this bit of silliness, Sting addresses the idea of being a support system for Darby like Cody was a support system for MJF and like how Ric Flair was a support system for the early surfer Sting. Sting goes into his other past lives about being the Crow Sting and the Wolfpack Sting before doing the Too Sweet for Kevin Nash and obviously the tribute to Scott Hall. May he rest in peace. And even talks about still having a little bit of the Joker Sting in him. And and he admits he no longer has the hunger to be the world champion. And that showtime is nearly over for Sting. But it's just starting for Darby Allen, who Sting assures will be the AEW world champion. Darby says this plastic world has not taken him, stating that he will leave it as a very different man, but most notably the AEW world champion. MJF spits on Darby before retreating out of the ring and up the ramp, leaving us with a cheering crowd and Sting and Darby in the ring as we go to commercial. All I gotta say about this is that this is an awesome fucking promo. And once again, we are seeing the genius of MJF. A man who is verbally eviscerating all the pillars of AEW while also forcing them one by one to fire up, step up, and show something. Which is exactly what Darby Allen did here. And I love that MJF fought back with the whole morals kill careers because to, to an extent that is true. You know, and he's talking about how he cares about being the greatest of all time. He's not interested in catering to the marks and how Darby Allen's legacy could very well be be Sting's bitch. And to an extent, that is true as well. You know? And Sting, of course, with the pom-poms and the cheerleading, it was a funny bit, and Sting managed to pull it off, so it was entertaining. I'll give him that. But in a lot of ways, Sting spoke the truth. Since he's come to AEW, he has pretty much been a rah-rah cheerleader for Darby Allen. I hate it. I hate it immensely. But Sting seems to like it. So, I, I guess if he's having fun, he's having fun. You know, I'm not really gonna rain on his his parade, but the fact that Sting doesn't have the hunger 
Walker to be the world champion is something that irritates me. And I'll tell you why. I honestly believe Sting should have a run with the AEW title before he retires and hangs it up. If anything, I would rather see Darby Allin take the title from Sting than take it from MJF. Because I've said this a million times before, but I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. There are a lot of legends in this company. You got some who are past their prime and are perfect for managerial positions. People like Arn Anderson. People like Tully Blanchard. People like Jake the Snake Roberts. Don't get me wrong. I have all the respect in the world for all three of these men, but physically they are not in shape enough to go for titles and have those kind of runs. Now, that's not to say they couldn't work a match in the ring. Like I said before, I would have loved to have seen Jake Roberts and Arn Anderson go at it back when Cody and Lance Archer were feuding. I would have thought that would have been a perfect manager match. And both those men are so deeply rooted in psychology and storytelling, I think they could have pulled off a one-time match. You know, obviously I wouldn't put either one of those guys in the world title picture right now, but I thought they could have worked a match. But you also have guys that are legends that can still physically go in the ring. People like Jeff Jarrett, people like Billy Gunn, and people like Sting. All three of those guys, I believe, should have at least one run with the world title. I'm not saying make them three-time, four-time, five-time champions. No. Give them one solid, good run with the belt. Get a couple victories over some people. And then when you're ready to put somebody over that is going to be a star in this industry, then they can do the job, pass the torch, and drop the belt. Sting is more than capable of being a world champion in AEW. Billy Gunn is capable of being a world champion in AEW. Jeff Jarrett is capable of being a world champion AEW and by beating those guys for a title it ups the wrestlers resumes because a lot of these guys are indie dudes who are fighting other indie dudes who aren't big enough names for a victory over them to fucking mean something you have legends use them well don't use them as background acts if they can still physically go. If they can still physically go, let them go. I would love to see Sting as the world champion in AEW. I'd love to see him have a good, decent run with that title. Because I know the matches would be great. See, at the end of the day, age is just a number. And I want to know how many more guys in their 40s and 50s can come out to the ring, get loud crowd reactions, and have good, solid matches before fans finally get it through their thick fucking skulls that younger doesn't always mean better age is just a number in this regard the age don't mean shit hell a lot of the guys that are coming in here from wwe to AEW and all that are in their 30s late 30s early 40s and they're putting on great matches why because they're in great incredible shape there are guys in the wrestling business in their 60s that are in better shape than most guys you see in the 20s and 30s. If given the opportunity, they could fucking deliver. But people try to put a stigma on age because they're afraid to see the old guys outshine the young guys. Because the young guys don't have the psychology or the storytelling to put on a great match. Because they can only put on great matches if they're doing the athletic shit because that's all they bring to the table and they have no other skills. That's why they're afraid of the old guy coming and taking their spot because their spot is easy to take. So I really wish we would just drop this age thing once and for all because it's already been 
debunked numerous times in wrestling over the last few years. Now, that being said, the promo segment was fantastic. And again, I would love to see Darby Allen take the belt from Sting. It would be a great moment, especially since Sting is talking about potentially having a retirement match. What better opponent for Sting to have than Darby Allen, the guy he loves so much? Because I don't know who else in that locker room you would give Sting a retirement match with. Unless you want to bring in another legend for him to fight. I mean, I know Goldberg's got an expired contract, but I don't know if anybody wants to see a retirement match between both of them. I think if Goldberg and Sting are each going to have retirement matches, they should be against different people. Give them somebody good to make it happen. But really, when I look at the roster, I don't know anybody else that Sting would be comfortable jobbing to. And who else I want to see him get in the ring with? The only other person I can think of, maybe, is Chris Jericho. That's the only other person I could see Sting having a retirement match with, is possibly Jericho. I think that would be a good one. And I think it would be even better if Sting had the title and Darby took it from him. That would truly establish him as a badass in AEW. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the TNT Championship. Powerhouse Hobbs defends the title against Silas Young. Okay, here's what I got to say about this. This match was way too short, and Silas Young deserved better. Now, obviously, as I mentioned before, I know quite a bit about Silas Young. Uh, I remember him during that one year uh, in 2014 where I was watching Ring of Honor on a regular basis. Silas Young was one of the guys that stood out to me, so I knew who he was. And obviously, this was a very short match, and I felt like, you know, this did nothing to help him at all. Obviously, this was something that was meant to make Powerhouse Hobbs look like a badass because they're clearly trying to build him up. Then, of course, uh, we see Wardlow taking out Powerhouse Hobbs' car, you know, smashing it up, scratching it up, grabbing a forklift, flipping it over. All of a sudden, um, Hobbs is freaking out, but then eventually Wardlow comes out to the ring, drops Aaron Solo to the stage, hits a powerbomb, sending him through the table as the other guys retreated and ran away. So, as we know, we're building up this Hobbs-Wardlow uh, storyline. I got a feeling this is going to culminate at double or nothing, and to be honest, I don't give a shit. And speaking of not giving a shit, we cut to a vignette showing uh, the return of Jay White to AEW and the fact that he is teaming up with fellow Bullet Club member Juice Robinson as Bullet Club Gold at the expense of Ricky Starks. And of course, they talk about all the people over the years that have been part of the Bullet Club who have come and gone and blah, blah, blah. And again, does anybody really give a shit about this? Because I'll be honest, the Bullet Club has lost all its luster. All the good members are gone. It's a bunch of random jackasses left, most of which nobody gives a shit about unless you have a hard on for New Japan, which as I've stated many, many times, I do not. So I don't care. And... On that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the AEW International Championship. Orange Cassidy defends the title against Buddy Matthews. I'm going to be honest. This match shocked the shit out of me. And the reason this match shocked the shit out of me was because Pockets didn't do the fucking shin kicks. 
And when he did put his hands in his pockets, the motherfucker got kicked in the face. My respect for Buddy Matthews has gone up tremendously. Because even though he did do the fucking shin kicks to him, he was taunting him with them. But he was doing it in a way that didn't look stupid and silly and phony the way Orange Cassidy normally does them. With the exception of... Uh, no holds barred match with Adam Cole Every time Orange Cassidy has done the shin kicks They look fake and stupid He didn't do them here And this match had something That an Orange Cassidy match Has never had before And that is Psychology Storytelling Orange Cassidy selling an injured hand And having to find a way to get a victory by doing it And he never stopped selling the hand Every time he did a move He went right back to selling the hand Buddy emphasized the importance of the injured hand By constantly inflicting damage on it As much as possible No matter what other moves Buddy did in that ring He always made sure to transition to the hand And injure the hand as a way to set him up for his finisher. I am beyond impressed with how this match was done. And I normally would never say that about an Orange Cassidy match. Or even a Buddy Matthews match for that matter. But both these men did very well here. And of course, Orange Cassidy got the win. Because they have no intention of taking that belt off of Tony's mascot anytime soon. Next, we cut to a video package of Christian Cage with a scary luchasaurus. Assuring us that some things have changed. So I guess, I'm assuming from these vignettes, the thing that changed is they're both these men are becoming more ruthless. Christian is going to a darker side. Luchasaurus is going to an even darker side than he was already at. And when the time finally comes for Luchasaurus to go on a path of destruction, Christian's going to be there to sell the whole thing. And stand by Luchasaurus' side until it's time for Christian to get in the ring and feud with whoever. And then, of course, we cut to the backstage area with the best friends, with Chucky e. T and Tremperetta, who say that Orange Cassie is fine before addressing Aussie Open and challenge them to a match at Rampage, basically going after the IWGP Tag Team Champions. Um, don't give a shit. I don't think anyone does. And the only positive I can see coming out of this is if there's a New Japan pay-per-view coming up, the best friends can go to that. But this could also be a setup for Forbidden Door in June. So if you're going to have a feud with these guys and it's going to go on for a long time and eventually lead to an IWGP tag team title match, then it needs to happen at Forbidden Door. Do not waste this on Double or Nothing. We don't need to see it. This should culminate at Forbidden Door, since that's an AEW and New Japan joint pay-per-view. Save it for Forbidden Door. Outside of that, I don't give a fuck because I hate the best friends. Next, we cut to the ring with Ethan Page, played by Julian. And again, this is not as funny when Gator's not fucking here. But Ethan is in the ring to address some issues with the firm, including Matt Hardy attacking him with the FTW title, Hook beating up Stokely Hathaway, and the fact he looks better than everyone in the crowd. Ethan needs answers. He needs to know why Matt attacked him and what was in that contract. Isaiah and Hardy come out to the stage to address this, where Hardy says Ethan has to read the fine print. Hardy reveals that if Hook defeats Ethan, then Hardy and Isaiah are no longer under the dominion of the firm. And Matt gets to name a match as stipulation where when they win, they are no longer under contract. Ethan replies this by pointing out that Ethan and Stokely aren't the only ones in the firm. 
which brings out Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. The firm beat up on Hardy and Isaiah until Hook makes his way out to even up the odds. Hook takes down Ethan and Lee, but struggles looking to throw Big Bill, allowing Ethan and Lee to come after him as well. Until Jeff Hardy's music hits, Jeff doesn't waste time dancing, thank fucking God, as he's got a steel chair and makes his way down to deal with the firm. He hits a twist of fate and a swan tom bomb to keep the firm at bay as Jeff celebrates with his new and old friends and the crowd. Okay. Here's the deal. As far as the whole contract with the firm and everything goes, none of this is making any sense to me. So apparently, Hook defeats Ethan. They're no longer under the dominion of the firm, but he has to win a match against Ethan in order to get out of the contract. Is there a difference in these two phrases that I'm fucking missing? Again, it's late at night while I'm recording this. My brain is fucking fried, so I have no idea what's going on here. Maybe somebody can explain this to me later. Comment below or DM us on our social media channels and maybe you all can explain this shit to me on why I this makes any sense but I'm assuming whatever this match is whatever this stipulation is this is probably going to happen at double or nothing at least that's where this should end now, I'm sure everybody wants to know what are my thoughts on the return of Jeff Hardy. Obviously, the fans are excited. Jeff Hardy is a spot monkey. Jeff Hardy is extreme. Jeff Hardy is the smoke and mirrors of the Hardy Boys. He's the flashy guy that everybody loves. Even though, as a ground wrestler, he is shit. He has been undeserving of every world title he's ever held. And every time he's gotten a push, he's dropped the ball because of his addiction which I've tried to be sympathetic to it in the past, but when you are a constant fuck-up and a constant letdown, after a certain point, it's hard for people to get behind you. So everybody knows I have talked shit about Jeff Hardy since his recent DUI. This is a guy who has begged for chances and has fucked them all up. So basically, here's how I'm going to look at this. I have to judge everything Jeff Hardy does from now until he finally retires from the ring on a case-by-case basis. I can't get comfortable. I can't trust Jeff Hardy. Because the one thing I don't want to do is get emotionally invested in anything Jeff Hardy does only to have the rug pulled out from under me because he decides to fuck up again. You know, this is the same motherfucker in TNA who begged for one more shot, got one more shot, and I'll admit did very well with it, but then comes to AEW and fucks it up. Especially after he left WWE when they wanted to drug test him because he was all weird at a live event. And Jeff made the WWE feel like pieces of shit for wanting to test him. He comes to AEW, gets a fucking DUI when they're about to push the Hardy Boys towards the tag team titles. Because I honestly believe if Jeff hadn't been kicked off TV for a while, him and Matt probably would have had a run with the tag belts. The dumb fucks probably would have dropped the belts to them. Because they were doing everything they can not to drop them to FTR. So instead they dropped them to Swerve in Our Glory so they could do the favors but not to the right team. But I think the Hardys would have probably gotten those belts. They'd probably be AEW Tag Team Champions. And here's the thing. I want the Hardys to be AEW Tag Team Champions. I want to see the Hardys complete the package. They've been Tag Team Champions in WWE. They've been Tag Team Champions in TNA. They've been Tag Team Champions in Ring of Honor. I love to see them win them in AEW. And I'll take it a step further. After they win them in AEW, I wouldn't mind them going to New Japan and winning the IWGP 
tag team titles. Hell, if you're not ready to make them the AEW tag champs right now, since FTR got them, make you can make that the match for Forbidden Door. Let the Hardys win the belts there instead of giving them to the best friends or letting them keep it on the Aussie motherfuckers. I do that. I want to see the Hardys win as much tag team gold as possible. What I don't want to see is Jeff Hardy with the world title. Although I got a feeling, I got a strong fucking feeling they're going to put that belt on Jeff before he leaves. And it's going to piss me off because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Matt Hardy is a better wrestler than Jeff and deserves to be a world champion. TNA finally did right by him. AEW should do the same. And then after that, you can put him on Ring of Honor, make him the world champion there too. Matt Hardy deserves to be a world champion. Jeff does not. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the show where we invoke the elite rule and skip all the elite bullshit. Although I will say briefly, I took very great pride in the fact that uh, John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli beat the fuck out of Brandon Cutler and Michael Naka Naka the fuck off and get the fuck off my TV. Watching these two fucking stooges get their fucking asses kicked was a beautiful thing. Busted open. Lots of blood. Beautiful. Then we cut to the backstage area with Tony Schiavone who talks to the Mogul Embassy as Swerve addresses the match he had tonight before saying they are still unsettled scores to take care of in AEW. Don't know what that means and I don't really care. Hopefully it leads to something. On that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got ourselves some tag team action. We have Rio and Sky Blue versus Ruby Soho and Tony Storm of the Outcasts. This was a short but sweet match. I think these women did very, very well. I want to say Ruby Soho and Tony Storm definitely carried these women to a good match. Sky Blue showing potential. Rio as usual being annoying and unrealistic and why the fuck does this geisha bitch still have a job I don't fucking get it it's for goddamn ridiculous I don't want to see it but either way good tag team match no botches the women actually did good tonight in the end Tony hits Storm Zero for the pin and the win the outcasts attacked their opponents after the match whipping out the spray paint to give the L to Rio before hitting a triple power bomb on the former women's champion can't believe I actually said those words they look proud of their work until Jamie Hayter hits the ring only to be attacked by the outcasts until Britt Baker comes out next the doctor is in she goes after the outcasts like a storm until Soraya gets involved Baker nearly stomps her before Soho and Storm bring her out of the ring for the save leaving them to regroup up the ramp I like this I like the fact they actually got to use the spray paint and actually got a beat down on some of these women. Obviously, Britt Baker making the epic save, but of course, pulling her out of the ring, genius. So at least Britt Baker is the one left standing in the ring, helping up her friends while the outcasts retreat. Perfect. Loving it. These women did phenomenal tonight. And on that note, we will now move on to the main event of the evening. We've got Chris Jericho one-on-one against Keith Lee. This, ladies and gentlemen, was a stellar main event. It really was. And the reason it was stellar is because of the guys who were in the ring. First of all, I love the fact that Keith Lee actually looked limitless in this match. This is the best match I have seen Keith Lee have in singles competition since he debuted. I thought his debut, booking-wise, psychology-wise, was atrocious. I hated the way it was booked. I've had bad feelings about how he was going to be booked going forward. And for a period of time, I was right. Today, I was somewhat proven wrong. 
because Keith Lee looked badass. He wrestled badass. He didn't take any shit aside from this stupid fucking moonsault that he did. Everything else I enjoyed. In fact, the only good thing that came out of the moonsault was the fact that when Jericho got the knees up, he actually sold like it fucking hurt his knees to have a big fat fuck land on them. That, ladies and gentlemen, is selling. Because it wasn't just some normal guy landing on those knees. A big fat fuck landed on your knees. That's going to hurt you just as much as it's going to hurt the big fat fuck. And I'm not saying that to fat shame Keith Lee. I'm saying that to illustrate the fact that when a fat person lands on you in any way, it should fucking hurt you because of the weight. So I love that. And I also love that Jericho also worked very well in this match. You see that Jericho is still able to go in the ring. You know, Jericho gets a lot of flack from people online. But as far as I'm concerned, Jericho is still the GOAT. And he again, he is one of those guys that is a top guy that can still go in the ring even at his age. I was going off on the age stuff earlier. This further illustrates the point. So to me, Jericho is a total package. In fact, I'll go as far as to say I would love to see Jericho win another world title. Whether it be another Ring of Honor title, whether it be another AEW title, or if they decide to make him the IWGP heavyweight champion. I love to see them go for that. I I know he was the, I believe he was the Intercontinental Champion for New Japan at one point. I don't think he's held the U.S. title, but I'd like to see him become the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. You know, have some fun in Japan for a while, in addition to AEW. Bring that out there and have Jericho brag about having another world title under his belt. I think that'd be great. And again, Jericho did amazing in this match. Uh, Both these guys brought out a hell of a battle, especially the pounce by Keith Lee looked amazing. Jericho trying to go for a co-breaker, but Keith Lee catching him in the bear hug was great. The interference from Daniel Garcia, you know, tripping him up, I thought was great. The distraction as well as Swerve came in and, you know, pretty much knocking out Keith Lee, allowing Jericho to get the cover and win the match. And of course, Swerve was the person. We all knew that before the mask even came off. And then, of course, Adam Cole makes his way to the ring to check on Lee. And they make their way up the ramp as the show comes to a close. Which doesn't really make a lot of fucking sense here. Except for the fact that Jericho and Adam Cole look to be building a feud or a rivalry. And it looks like something like this could culminate at double or nothing. And I know I said that a lot with a lot of feuds that are starting to come up. I said, notice I keep saying culminate at double or nothing. The reason I say that is because I feel compelled to remind AEW and the AEW fans that that's what the fuck they should be doing. Building to the pay-per-view. But as I mentioned before, one of the things AEW has never been good at is long-term storytelling and building up to a pay-per-view. That's why when we took that break from the end of December up to Revolution, I was not worried because they don't build up to any matches. So I knew that I could just watch Revolution blindly and not really miss anything. And I really hope that Tony Khan learns this lesson and starts building to his pay-per-views instead of waiting until a week or two beforehand and just start throwing shit randomly out there like a kid who has a homework assignment that's due tomorrow that he had months to complete. It's goddamn ridiculous. But 
I am intrigued to see where this goes. I'm wondering if eventually at some point down the road, probably on TV or something, I hope it's on TV because I wouldn't want this to be on pay-per-view, Adam Cole and Keith Lee could team up to take on Jericho and Daniel Garcia. I also wouldn't mind seeing Keith Lee and Daniel Garcia lock up a double or nothing as well, make it a buy-in match. But right now, I feel like for Double or Nothing, it should just be Jericho and Adam Cole one-on-one. -on -one. And I wouldn't mind seeing Adam Cole go over in that feud because I feel like Adam Cole is one of those guys that would benefit. Now, another valid reason for Adam Cole to want to come out and help Keith Lee is because both these guys were in NXT together. They weren't necessarily in the same group because Keith Lee was never part of the Undisputed Era, but I'm sure they have mutual respect for each other for all the battles and wars they fought inside the ring. You know, Lord knows they feuded over the NXT title a few times and... I'm sure, I think Adam Cole has more victories over Keith Lee than Keith Lee does over Adam Cole. But either way, if you're an NXT fan, you can see the connection there. And it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But uh, for a lot of these uh, feuds that are going on right now, I'm intrigued to see where they go. Obviously, it's one that I skipped completely because I don't give a fuck. But overall, this, ladies and gentlemen, was AEW. And I'm going to wrap this up here. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I apologize if I was rambling or sounded incoherent. But I am dead dog tired, and I was supposed to have help on this. So I did the best I can on my own. And make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Check out the male soap opera moment. See our predictions for WrestleMania. And, of course, be on the lookout for the WrestleMania recap coming soon to the Facebook page. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. I just found out before I went uh, on to record this, I found out that the Twitch videos are no longer up there. They've expired. So I'm going to be trying to see if I can get the uh, WrestleMania watch parties and this video gaming thing that we did where uh, I Epically failed at trying to beat the Lion King and the Aladdin games. Uh, apparently the Sega versions were converted to PS4. So I tried to play them at Desmond's to kill a little bit of time before WrestleMania. So I'm going to try to see if I can get those videos on the YouTube channel. Hopefully I can. If they get flagged for copyright, then obviously they won't be there. And of course, be on the lookout for the rise of Rush Limbaugh coming soon once I can get some tech issues fixed with that. And then of course the other two episodes of Dark Side of the 90s will be coming soon as well well as we complete that and of course dark side of the ring season four is dropping soon so be on the lookout for new dark side of the ring episodes coming and when i get a chance i'm going to get into dark side of football and dark side of comedy and recording those and speaking of the Twitch channel, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. And our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Join us for the biggest party of the summer. And of course, we have a live D&D show coming soon. Our Boochcast booking battle and another special project in the works. 
Also, you guys can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. Same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since sold the Peacock, got nowhere to put that $9.99. So $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network. And unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We use it to upgrade our equipment, we use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believe they deserve to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet.